Thanks for joining us for Episode 7 of Season 3 of Couples, Inc., a place where we help couples work better together. The first and third Wednesday of each month, we drop episodes with advice, tips, and real-world experience for partnering in business and life. I'm Jody, a business owner and communications strategist, and maybe I've been watching too many episodes of old British mysteries, but I'm concerned about the lack of invitations we get from complete strangers to their country manor house or their isolated island or a ski lodge. We're not getting any of those invitations and not one long-distance relative has contacted us or left us their estate. I mean, it's very confusing. I've been meaning to talk to you about this. You know, when I've been checking the mail all the time lately, oh. I've been throwing that stuff in the shredder. Well, because you know, it's a trap. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like a scam of some sort. Fishing. It's a scam. It's a murder scam. It's a murder fish. <laughs> I'm Glenn, Jody's partner in life and business. And while waiting for an appointment at a doctor's office, I picked up a book of magic eye illustrations. You know, the magic eye oh, yeah, is yeah. really popular 15 or 20 years ago. Now, I'd seen magic eye before, but they never clicked. I never made sense of it until right at this moment. So there in the doctor's waiting room, I shouted, I see it! Okay. And apparently I've been cured because I haven't been invited back to that doctor's office. No, I imagine not. So So magic eye truly is magic. (laughs) Well, congratulations on joining the rest of us who learn to relax our eyes to see the horse. And on being cured. And on being cured. On today's show, we discuss why couples sometimes talk past each other and what we do or try to do to prevent that. Then we discuss the things that we find most taxing about being a couple in business. Mm, and at the end of the show, Jody tests my March Madness knowledge. Mm-hmm. Without further ado, let's get started with this episode of Couples Inc. For today's topic, and I know we can't be the only couple where this is an issue or I guess people in general, where we sometimes talk past each other. Hmm? Exactly. Like sometimes we'll find ourselves saying, well, you know what I'm saying is, you know what I'm saying is, and that's sort of a clear sign that we're obviously not connecting. I don't think I use that phrase when I'm saying is. I think I I just say, shut up and let me talk. (laughs) Don't I? I get so heated in those moments, it's like I go to a different place in my mind. You go to a different place, yeah. I black out. A fugue state. No, I find myself using that phrase. But there is a time when we end up talking past each other, and we may end up... And this is what's so hilarious, when we're actually finding out that, wait, are we having an argument and we agree? This doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I have a link that we'll put in the show notes on psychology Mm -hmm. today. You read through some of that, right? I did. What I'm going to do is give you some some ideas that I got from it and some observations, really. Okay. The guy, Jeremy Sherman, he's a PhD, and he has the Am- Ambigamy blog. Okay. So it sounds like it's... It, it sounds illegal? Multi-spouse. Yeah. And you're kind of like... Uh, you're just, ambivalent just about okay it. About it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. But that's the title of my next album, too, Ambigamy. <laughs> So he describes it, it's really kind of cool, he describes it as insights for the deeply romantic and deeply skeptical. And looking deeply into it, deeply, it's what we are to other people versus what we aspire to be. And by aspire to be, he's talking about 
your best self. Mm -hmm. And that's usually what's in your mind whenever you engage with the outside world. Right. Unless you're in a really bad mood and then you just, you you don't care. But you see yourself in a different way. Sure. Okay. So your your mind's eye. Yeah. Uh Yeah. And it's not magic mind's eye. It's just. No. It kind of reminds me though. um, I took a self defense course, one of those. Uh, women's self-defense courses that were all like the rage in the early 90s was or late mid-90s. Was that the one that they videotaped and you, you've, yes. shown me, you've shown me that one? Yes, and that that's the thing. Earth. The videotape wow. was... I know. <laughs> you just... Got, if, if that guy had been without protective padding on, you'd have killed him. Well, okay. I just so got angry. into this whole muscle memory just... like I'm like, I gotta get out. I gotta get away. Pummel, pummel, pummel. So I just punch, 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 punch. And then I switched to elbow, elbow, elbow. And anyway, I just got into the zone. In my mind, I thought, oh, I was looking cool, like badass. Mm -hmm. But what happened was when we watched the video, just to see our technique and see the mistakes we might have made, I kind of just flailed around. And because I had long arms and legs and just fell down on top of him, I kind of had the advantage. It wasn't a case of me being all like... Ooh, yeah, badass superhero kind of thing. But I did do you know well on the video, but um, I was like surprised at how um, clunky and odd and my arms flailing around looked. So yeah, you're right. In your now, that's an extreme example of your how you look. That is the Mortal Kombat version of you that's in your Mortal Kombat mind. Oh, I was totally expecting to see Mortal Kombat, you know, just I was... Finish it. Yeah, I was like, oh, you know, but then I watched the video, I was like, huh. It just kind of looks like I flailed around like I'm some sort of like marionette off, you know, without a, you know, someone monitoring the strings or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. So, So how does that mesh, like how we see ourselves and what you're saying people's version how does that affect this what he says what dr sherman says is that we seek what's true and the version of truth in our minds okay that he calls our hopeful selves and so that's why we talk past each other because we are not hearing what we want to hear we're not hearing what's really being said because and this is just sometimes not all the time right 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 we project our hopeful selves and put that into the conversation. Mm -hmm. And so that doesn't match what your brain is. If I'm doing it to you, it doesn't match what your brain is trying to hear because you're all about, let's say, the the sentence that we're working on on a a document or something. You want the, the sentence and you need to massage it or do whatever to it to make it whole. Well, I'm taking that and going, you know, sentences... I just love sentences, and those are so expository, and the best sentence that that could ever be, but you're looking for a practical right. solution. My head's kind of up in the in the stratosphere, looking down on humanity and saying, oh, everyone is a sentence, and we're all periods and question marks, aren't we? Stuff like I'm, that. Okay, it, first of all, I'm an exclamation point. You are. Yeah. So basically, our expectations of the conversation are different. Yeah. And that's why we end up talking past each other is because one may be having a very, this is the type of conversation I think we're having, mm-hmm. and the other is having a totally different one. Okay, I can that see is, how that... That is one explanation. Yeah. And when this sort of thing happens, mm-hmm. that's not always it. There can be other things with couples. There might have been some sort of an, a disagreement about the sentence or about the project that you're working on. Mm-hmm. And so you bring the disagreement to that particular part of the project. 
and it's oh. it, that's going to result in talking past each other too. So because you have like so almost like a, um, um, like it, when we learn communication model in school, it's like you had me, you know, sender, receiver, message, and then you had static, which could be mm-hmm. a variety of things. It could actually be literal static if it was in the broadcast sense, or it could be distraction. Yeah. Or filter that you have in terms of like a bias you have against someone yeah. or a mood that you might be. So you may already be mad at your partner for something else. So you're not listening or connecting sure. on what you're talking about at that, at that moment. That exactly. makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can see that, that happening quite a bit when you're talking to a partner in business, whether you're a couple or not. If you already have some kind of frustration, it can, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, manifest itself into a block. Yeah, and it usually does. And whether you're working together or trying to just, you know, get along, you know, in, in your everyday life together. Um, we fight so infrequently, though, that that's we're almost venturing into uh, uncharted waters. With, well, with I don't think this is always fighting. And this is not the same as talking over, because I will right. be honest, I do that all the time because I'm so excited and I do talk over you. Probably people who listen know. Do you think that's what happens with you? Is that you're reaching for your um, hopeful self? Hopeful self. Yes. No, I think in my case, I sometimes am, and this is just not that I'm, I know I'm going to be opposing you on certain subjects, but sometimes I think about what I'm going to say next when oh. I should be listening to what you're saying. And I know a lot of people do that. It's one reason we always forget names. That's weird, man. I know. Well, when someone introduces themselves or you are introduced to someone and they say their name, mm-hmm. a lot of times for me, I'm so like, okay, what are we going to talk about? What, you know, what can I ask this person? How do I have a conversation? And I've forgotten their name because I wasn't listening because I was jumping ahead. I do that, not just with names, but in general, when I'm, we're having a conversation, I might be thinking, oh, what am I going to say next? And I end up missing what you're saying. Wow. Does, I mean, you can see how, does that happen to you? I, maybe it's kind of a, a initial conversation mm-hmm. anxiety, ICA for short, and I've just <laughs> coined it. So we're going to go down to the patent office and there you go. put the trademark and copyright and everything on it. Well, what do you think happens? I mean... Do you ever find that happening to you where you're looking ahead to what you're going to say, particularly if you have opposing or you think you have opposing views? So that's the other thing, too, is sometimes I think we have opposing views, but we're just verbalizing it differently. Mm. And I'm not really listening to realize, oh, wait, he is saying kind of the same thing. You know, I really think that I just legit forget Mm -hmm. because there are so many other things that go around an introduction. You're taking in a lot of sensory perception for that person that you've just met. You're looking in their eyes. You're looking at their nose sometimes, or you're looking into their mouth. You'd like a dentist. You just, don't you? <laughs> uh, no, but I'm not, not just talking about that. I'm talking about like in just general conversation when we talk over or past each other, like we're just doing right now, because I was saying about, I was saying about the conversation, not about the introduction anymore. Uh, oh, oh my gosh, in uh, real time. Oh, it's <gasps> happening. In real time. Okay. Well, no, you see what I'm saying? Because it wasn't—it was like about when you and I don't connect. No, I, you're right. I just did it. Holy cow! Do I do that a lot? I—I I think we all do it at you some point. You can be honest if you want to. Yeah, on sometimes this, you on do. This very uh, yeah, sometimes, but at the same time, I do too. It's one of those weird things that it may be a case of the art of listening. 
Do you think he's coming that, on away? Okay, I just interrupted you. You there. did, yeah, but that's yeah, okay. But do you think that maybe that's taken a turn for the worse in the past few years as personal encounters, one to one encounters, have become more infrequent and yes. more? Uh, you have more layers to go between people before they get to a conversation. Absolutely, and I will also add, and this is definitely a generation thing that I'm noticing. Um, with people who pretty much live their life online. It's kind of like it's a conversation, but it's almost always one way. And they're always talking to or at someone. So there's no need to listen. It's one of those things like when I learned early on in public relations, and this is no offense to DJs around the world, But a lot of times I found that they are so used to being behind a microphone with no one else in the studio and just talking to an audience that I could not get them to really hear what I was saying. If I needed them to work, you know, they were at an event and they were needing to um, emcee something. It was just, I was like, oh my gosh. And sometimes it's like talking to a DJ or talking to a dentist. They're used to one-sided conversations. Well, now it's not just those industries everybody, if they have an Instagram or a TikTok or a YouTube, they're all just having one-sided conversations. So they're listening past people instead of talking past people. <laughs> no, they're not even listening. They're just talking to We can be ad. charitable and okay, say they're right, listening so past everyone. They're listening past everybody sure. as well. I agree. You're right. Let's let's not make it seem like they're so like verbally attacking as much as they're just lacking the listening skills. What, what, do you, what do you think? Do you think that's happening worse now too? Yeah, and this is the curmudgeon coming out in me big time because Wait, I think you're that a curmudgeon. I try to keep it hidden. Yeah, oh, yeah. Do I, do I you do a, a good very, job? You do a very good job. Okay, well, get off my lawn. <laughs> I think that just about everything about interpersonal communications has suffered very Mm -hmm. greatly over the past few years. When we had the COVID outbreak and when the pandemic was in full swing, we were forced to isolate. Mm -hmm. And I think that really after a while, it doesn't take very long. I think after a short time, you begin to pull back into yourself and you forget some of the finer points of communicating with other people. And asking them communicating. Que- <laughs> communicating with other people. And asking them questions. Yeah. What finding kind of questions? Out, well, just finding out more about, you know, their social security number, their mom's maiden name. <laughs> you know, those kinds of things. The cute the what is it, the three let three numbers on the back of their card? The th- yeah. No, um the- no, just <laughs> getting into it. <laughs> it's always money. It's tax season, but nice. we obviously didn't want to talk about you know actual taxes. No, nope. and we don't have the skill set <laughs> to talk about actual taxes. No. But it did get us thinking. Okay, what about the most taxing thing about working with your spouse or owning a business, etc. Um, that you know we can come up with. We wanted to come up with a list, and you see yeah. what I did there with taxing. Yes, we wanted to talk about the most taxing thing about being a couple in business or small business owners. We each came up with four, and I'll let you start, and we'll kind of see if any of these overlap. Okay, okay. my number one: mm-hmm. talking past each other. <laughs> It seems like a no-brainer since we've been talking about that, but that that's really, to me, especially when you're in uh, t- kind of a time crunch, if you're sweating a deadline 
and the two of you talking past each other, it's almost like the Tower of Babel. Yeah. It, but do you think that's more of a problem for couples in business than anyone else? Or or did you do you find it more of an issue now that you own a business versus when you work for somebody else? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do find it because you put so much of yourself into your business that this can't help but come in to the picture. That hopeful self that you've tried to find that we were talking about on right, the, the previous right. segment. I, I think that that comes into play a lot more often than we give it credit for. I, yeah, I could see that. I could see that being one of the more taxing because you want to make sure that this goes well and you have so much writing on this. It's not just a day at the office. It's sure. a day in your building this life for yourself. A day in your business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. My number one is the stress of knowing that your income is tied to one source. And I know we weren't going to talk taxes, but income, it's when we first started was pretty stressful. It's not as bad now that we've had, you know, we've built our business and we feel more confident, but it is a lot of stress for people who are a couple in business. And one reason I think some people decide not to do that is because they don't want to tie it. But that's, I would say that's, that ranks high as something that's kind of taxing on people who run a business is, uh, and they're a couple or, you know, or maybe if they're family, that it comes from one source. Okay. Number two. Mm Mm-hmm. Using time that I'm working on a project to explain what I'm working on. Huh. (laughs) What are you saying? I am just putting that out there and I'm going to leave it. Well, again, is that more so as a couple in business than... It is to me. I don't do a good job of selling my sizzle along Mm -hmm. with my steak. Right. And I always, even when I was a kid, I always felt like that... Well, I've made the effort here, and that in and of itself should be good enough. I know I've completed the job. It's well done. If somebody else doesn't like it, that's too bad. But I've learned since that you constantly have to be pointing to what you've done and your own best advocate and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, if, if I'm having to go back and explain what I'm working on, it's taking up time that I could be using to complete what and I'm And if you were on. a solopreneur as opposed to a couplepreneur, sure. because as, I mean, and you can understand, if I don't see it updated on our business chart or I don't know that you've done it, mm-hmm. it adds stress to me. So it's taxing to not know if things are getting done and I trust you to do those things. You got to share more information, and that takes time. Yeah. If I were just working by myself, I'd only mm-hmm. be talking to three or four other people. <laughs> just the beanie babies that you lined up on your desk. Maybe. For, part, for, for a companionship. What's your number two? All right. At first, um, since we worked from home, I found it taxing to try to explain to people or have people understand that while we have more flexibility as business owners, owning our own schedule, working from home but that we were still running a business and could not just be available anytime. I find that is very taxing when you own a business. Yeah, Yeah, it is. And particularly with adding adding to it that, you know, is there an assumption that you're going to do more of it and I'm going to be available or vice versa? Or, again, since we work from home, that we could just do whatever. So I find that taxing. I don't know. And working from home. 
Yeah, the working room. So it's kind of like still a kind combo. Of a, I don't know if it's a stigma, if you can officially call it a stigma, but it's still a mm-hmm. thing Yeah, to a lot of people. All right, what's your number three? Not working together on enough projects. I know, the irony. Yeah. We divide and conquer so much mm-hmm. in the business that we're in that it's almost like you don't have time to collaborate as much. I know that is we've we've often talked about roles and goals on the show where you know it's important to have those areas with that you own mm-hmm. and that they are separate mm-hmm. but because of that and because of the workload and the tasks whether they are things that we want to do or things that we have to do that we've divided we don't get a chance to brainstorm because well I've got to take this on because this is my role and I'm going to this client meeting, and you're like, "Well, I've got to edit this, and I'm or I'm writing this." So, yeah, that is very taxing. Yeah, I miss you. Oh, I know. All right, number three for me is this was taxing, and it's a minor thing, but that awkward introduction, especially to new clients and vendors and media. My husband, uh, my business partner. It's like I felt the like the need to explain. You know, because we have different last names and that, oh, you know, well, we're married. Like, oh, we work together and we're married. Early on, when I wanted us to seem bigger, I would say, well, you need to reach out to my my colleague, Glenn Berkland. You did not. I would. You did? I would call you my colleague. Uh, so it seemed like we were a bigger agency. But wow. that was that was the early on when I still was kind of like, you know, maybe have imposter syndrome. Who knows? Yeah, that hurts deep down, Joey. But, well, you were, hey, you're more than a colleague. You're also a friend. <laughs> um, thanks. No, but you were saying like when we were, it was awkward. Like I felt the need to explain that we're business partners, but we're also married. That introduction vice is versa. much more fluid now, though. Yeah. I've noticed that. You know, they say, tell us a little bit about yourselves. And, you know, it's usually press conference type setup. Where Obviously. You've got, you know, 30, 40 <laughs> rows. So you got to project it. Yeah, it's you in the, in the back with a funny hat. Yeah, it is. A, it's it. It's not so much an issue anymore. Mm-mm. But at early on, I was trying to figure out. I'm like, okay, I want to make sure that we come across professional. But I also felt the need to let them know we were married. And you know, it, it was weird. I don't know. It was an awkward thing. You didn't feel any of that early on. We should come across professionally married, <laughs> professionally married, professionally married. Okay. All right, but you didn't feel any of that like early on in terms of introductions. Oh. I just let you handle it. Okay. Secretly recorded each one of them. They'll be available on our bonus content (laughs) for members only. All right. What's your fourth one? I do not have four items for this list. Okay. I had a fourth one. And this is, okay, this is not so much for us because we don't have on-site employees. But I'm sure it's very taxing for, um, for other couples. You always hear about people talking about, well, how do you, you know, leave that, leave work at the office? It's the other way around as well as leaving home conflicts at home. It's very difficult. And I've worked in my career for a couple of businesses owned by married couples. And you automatically knew when there was trouble at home because there was tension in the office. Oh. And so I think that's probably a very taxing thing for for, um, for couples to switch gears. I mean, it's... For me, it's it's not a, we don't have an issue because we don't have employees and we don't really have you know we usually work those things out, but it's like for some couples it's a tension thing and they didn't get a chance to work it out before they are in front of other people and there's like you know sometimes even snapping at each other in a yeah. meeting or something yeah. like that and I'm like ooh that's got to be a very taxing thing it's I think even more of a problem than leaving work at the office is leaving 
Ooh, mom and dad are fighting. Let's hit the bar cart. <laughs> Jody's going to test my knowledge again. She doesn't believe that I know everything. But not your yet. patience. I won't test your patience. <laughs> what? I'll just test your knowledge. Okay. This time the topic is March Madness. Can we say that? Is it trademark? Sure. Should we just yeah. say the the basketball? Our game? tens of listeners probably don't have any kind of <laughs> rats there that that's, that are going to talk the, to the NCAA about yeah, it. So yeah, shh, keep this on the down low. Yeah. NCAA, not a sponsor. Okay. All right. All right. I've got four questions for you. Okay, shoot. And score. The first NCAA Division I men's basketball tournament was played in A, 1929, B, 1939, C, 1949, or D, Ancient Greece as part of the Olympics. <laughs> well... You, know, you were a young child then. I, in the, yeah, when it was the Olympics in ancient Greece, I remember <laughs> watching it on our rock TV, mm-hmm. you know, because we were the original Flintstones. Yes. I think this is uh, 1939. Correct. Yeah. It had eight teams, and Oregon was the first champion beating Ohio State for the title. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, back then, I can tell you a little bit more about sure, it, Sure. You know, I have no doubt you could. Yeah. The, the NCAA tournament, when it first started, wasn't a big deal at all. The National Invitation Tournament mm-hmm. was a much bigger deal. I've never heard of that. Well, that's because it's shrunk. Gone away. As, uh, it's not gone away. Oh, it hasn't? It's the, uh, people, I know nothing about sports. Yeah, people call it the NIT, the not important tournament now. Oh. Because it's for the teams that don't make the NCAAs. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's kind of like a consolation the team prize. that wins it can say, we're 65th. We're 65th. Well, that's, that's better than what's the total number. It really, is it? I don't it's know. It's like that's 300 true. and something, I guess. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. All right. Number two. Who first used the phrase March Madness during broadcast coverage of the tournament? Now, the word's been around or the phrase has been around since 1939, but it was not uttered on a broadcast until this announcer did it. A, Brent Musburger. B, Dick Vitale. C, Bob Costas. D, Casey Kasem. Keep your feet on the ground and keep shooting for, for the March threes. For March Madness. Oh. <laughs> for threes, yeah. For threes. Um, yeah, I think it was Brent Musburger. Ding, ding. Well, I guess you'll do a sound effect. Yay, you got it right. Yeah. Yeah, so I know a lot of stuff. It was during the broadcast coverage in 1982. Of what game? Um, I don't know. I'm looking at my notes here that I cut and paste from the internet. State versus tech. Probably. All right, so, so far two for two. All right. What is the highest scoring March Madness game ever? A, UK versus Duke. B, Loyola, Marymount versus Michigan. C, Arkansas versus Tulsa. Or D, Coke versus Pepsi. Ooh, that mm-hmm. Coke versus Pepsi is pretty high scoring. It, it was. It in was in very... the calories, it's it's always up in the millions. Yes. <laughs> sometimes billions. Yes, I figured it would bubble to the top. I think it's Loyola, Marymount. 
versus Michigan. You are correct. Yeah. The highest scoring game in NCAA tournament history was in uh, on March 18th, 1990, when Lu- Loyola, am I saying Loyola. that? Loyola. Loyola. Yeah. I've heard it both ways. (laughs) I've heard it both ways. Marymount beat Michigan by a final score of 149 to 115, which equals 264 points. So, yay. Did you just add those together? No, it was, I wrote that down. Come on. Yes, I'm a a mathlete. Yeah. No, um, I wrote that down. Yeah, back in those days, Loyola had a very high scoring team. They also, well, they were also the second place scorer. As well, wow. like the second highest, um, but I don't know who they were playing. Hmm. What are your odds of filling out a perfect bracket? 100%. <laughs> what do you think? Well, that's true. For you, yes. But just imagine the average person. Okay. Okay, the I'm average person. i to come down from my hopeful self <laughs> into reality. I don't know how many times I would work at an office and they'd want me to fill one out. I'm like, here, just do you need the money? Just take my... Five dollars, ten dollars. <laughs> yes. You know, just don't, don't even, even worry. Get a candy bar. I'm not even going to fill out a bracket because I don't know anything. All right, about the sports. I mean, I really don't. I didn't even like even understand the whole seed thing. Was like, a, you know, that was a hint that you might be able to go with a number one. I'm like, eh, I'll go with a name. I just didn't really care. Anyway, a one in nine billion. B one in nine trillion oh c one in nine quintillion or d you're more likely to get struck by lightning while scratching a winning lottery ticket from inside the jaws of a great white shark the okay that's d that's a triple jeopardy sounds to me like yes well it's a good and bad thing you've got lightning bad Lottery ticket, good. Jaws of a shark, bad. You won't spend, you won't live long enough to do anything with it. But you'll be able to buy a bigger boat. <laughs> okay. But anyway, back to the numbers. One in nine billion, one in nine trillion, one in nine quintillion. Do you mean, by, by that question, do you mean fill it out completely without erasing anything? Yes. Like you, without, every you original, single, yes. Yeah, like you, you fill it out before the tournament starts mm-hmm. and you just let it ride. Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, because if it was after everything was done, you'd have, you'd be able to fill it out perfectly. But no, this is That's like. The way I've always done it. <laughs> this is like you went from the first rounds all the way to you have the winner mm-hmm. in there. Is if you put. From the first round all the way to the actual center square, um, you have every name right. The center square? The center square. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's nine something. One in nine something. Yes. Am I right about that yes, part so far? Yes, you are. There's some zeros after it. I'm going to say it's one in nine billion. No quintillion. That many? Yeah. I, this was very confusing. And this is, again, showing how I am not a mathlete. But they were saying in this article I was reading on the internet, if you were to flip a coin to determine your bracket selection, the odds of getting a perfect bracket are 1 in 9.2 quintillion. Okay. Mm. If you know a little bit about basketball, your odds can increase, though, to 1 in 120.2 billion. So you could be in the billion, but we're talking 120, not 9 billion. Well, and two, there's, I think that's fake news because there are not that many people in this world. 
Right. It's not really about, it's not like you're competing. It's like, what are your odds that, you know, you would get that? Apparently there is someone who holds the record and I don't remember how far he got, but he had a perfect bracket up until like maybe the Elite Eight. Are you suggesting it's never been done? Right. I mean, because it, just one game, all you need, would need would be one game to be wrong well, because yeah. it, it brackets down. So if you have that one wrong, then you'd have the next three games wrong or the next two games wrong or, you know. But still, there's only, what, 68 games? Is it something like that? Something like that. But you have to get every one of those right. And (laughs) you just keep getting them right. Just keep winning. That's all I do. That's true. All you do is win, 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 win. Keep winning. Thanks for listening to Couples Inc., a place where we help couples work better together. We drop new episodes the first and third Wednesday of each month, but to make sure you don't miss a show, follow us wherever fine podcasts are published. And if you enjoyed this episode and you want to support the podcast, share it with others, post it on social media, or leave a rating or review. And please visit our website, couplesincpodcast.com. That's couplesincpodcast.com. To learn more about us, review show notes, or leave us a message. Until next time.